1: This is Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida.
2: And Christy Landwehr from Aurora, Colorado. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for this March 20th, episode 1896. This episode is brought to you by the Certified Horsemanship Association. Good morning, Horse World. Houston, we have a problem.
1: Ability equals skill plus
0: knowledge. I got a bad feeling about this.
1: Here's a safety tip for you from the Certified Horsemanship Association.
2: Missed it by that much.
1: How can I change this to make it better the next time?
0: Help do I can Yeah.
1: Time for Training Tuesday on Horses in the Morning with the Certified Horsemanship Association. Welcome back, Christy. Christy is here the third Tuesday of every month, and uh, she's back again with all sorts of interesting and helpful information. How are you doing?
2: Thanks, Coach Jen. I'm doing fine. I love training Tuesdays. It's one of the most fun parts of my job.
1: (laughs) I enjoy it, too, because there's always little light bulb moments and handy takeaways and all that stuff. That's what CHA is all about. Well, and it's never ending.
2: Because there's so much to do in horses, right? Just when you think you know something, change your breed, change your discipline, and you go, oh gosh, I don't know anything at all. So it's just great.
1: You're right. It is never ending. Just about every time I do this show, I go, wow, I thought I kind of had that topic, but now there's this whole new avenue of that topic that I hadn't explored before. Yeah.
2: I know. It's very fun.
1: And speaking of exploring, you have been out exploring the entire United States again, Uh, you were here in Florida recently, weren't you?
2: I was in your neck of the woods. I call it March Madness, but it has nothing to do with college sport. It has to do with me just traveling in March a lot. Um, There's always a lot of trips. And the American Quarter Horse Association convention was there in Jacksonville. So that was quite lovely. And that's really close to St. Augustine. So one of the days my a uh, fellow board member and I kind of took a little hiatus and we went down to St. Augustine and boy, it's, we had a lot of fun t- there.
1: It's tough going to St. Augustine. Oh, it was
2: gorgeous.
1: <laughs> one of oh the prettiest towns in the state, in my opinion.
2: Oh, that lighthouse, just everything about it. So that was good. And of course at Quarter Horse, one of the main things they were talking about is this whole commercial driver's license oh, thing yeah. and this whole electronic logging device thing. They had a lot of conversation about that. Um, and just kind of, you know, including they're they're coming up with something kind of neat they're going to have a barrel racing app for the barrel racers that's going to say powered by aqha but it's going to be for every barrel racer out there to kind of keep all their points in one place and all their wins of their horse in one place and it's it's a pretty cool concept so they're they're trying to get kind of all the different disciplines that people ride quarter horses in Mm -hmm. um kind of back into their fold Uh, so it's it's a great idea
1: cool who doesn't love a good app, right?
2: Yes, absolutely. And
1: then you went from Florida, warm and toasty and beautiful, to the frozen north of Michigan. Oh my gosh! It landed
2: in the airplane after only being in Florida two days earlier to snow. It was
1: kind of a shock. Not just snow my system, Michigan snow.
2: Oh, with that lake, I'm telling you, they're they're a hearty bunch. It was it was definitely chilly for sure.
1: I, one of my things on my bucket list, and Glenn won't listen to the show so I can say this, I would, I want to do Michigan in the winter, and I want to do it so I can just go up there in anticipation of a big storm and just park myself somewhere, just because I want to experience Michigan in the winter. It's just got to be, it's got to be beautiful, just despite the fact that it's sub-freezing.
2: Oh, you know, there's ends up with frost all over the trees because of all the humidity. Mm-hmm. I mean, the frost is really lovely, yeah. actually. That was that was truly pretty. But the Michigan Horse Expo, I'll tell you, the Michigan Horse Council puts it on, and it's a fabulous show. It's, um, it's pretty big, isn't it? Very crowded, and
1: oh yeah, lots of people there, lots of crowds. We were very very impressed. Yeah, Michigan folks are heartier than us wimpy Floridians. Little weather isn't going to stop them. Oh,
2: no, they didn't care even a little bit. I think it was the perfect amount of weather. Not so much snow that they couldn't drive, but definitely too much to go ride your horse. So this so great.
0: perfect.
2: Recipe. Perfect. Oh, yeah, it was perfect.
1: Yeah. So was the Mich- for the Mich- Michigan Horse Expo, did you have a booth for the CHA or did you go and just wander around and talk to people or what did you do up there?
2: No, I spoke on behalf of CHA. I actually had six presentations, all different ones. So yeah, so I was in the round pen and I was in a lecture hall and there was a lot of talking going on. And then we had a booth and I had some wonderful instructors of ours come and um, share the booth space and be able to talk about what they do locally, which was great. Because then if somebody came up and said, I want to find somebody near me, I could like point to the person and go, well, here you go. Here's somebody right here. And they would know the area. And yeah, it was good.
1: Yeah. Wow. So where else were you besides just Florida and Michigan as if that wasn't enough?
2: Well, I didn't travel anywhere else. We just created the last couple of years a speaker's borough so that I don't have to travel so much. And we had wonderful people at the Pennsylvania Horse Expo, the Horse Expo in Pomona, California, and the Rocky Mountain Horse Expo all in the last couple of weeks. Wow. So that was great.
1: Yeah. So that so that you don't have to go to every single one of them. And then I guess that means you can hit more of them, huh?
2: That's the key. Yes. But I'll tell you, Terry, our membership services director at the office was laughing. She's like, I am shipping the tablecloth and the backdrop so much that I'm having to do a spreadsheet for where they all go.
1: Oh, well, <laughs> yes. Well, I can see how that that can be tough to deal with. You said it to so-and-so and then in, after so-and-so has it, so-and-so has to get it. and
0: yeah. Yes. Wow.
1: So it's kind of crazy. And then this weekend, we're going to be at every single
2: semifinal for Intercollegiate Horse Show Association that's going on. And there's three of those. And then we have Equine Affair coming up here next month. So a lot of excitement right now. Not boring.
1: So where where where's the e- Equine Affair going to be? It's in Columbus, Ohio in uh, mid-April. So it's the April, Ohio one. A great time if, if you've not been to the Ohio Equine Affair it's a blast. I recommend it. And the uh, CHA is going to have a booth? We will. And I'll be
2: speaking, and so will one of our board members, Bob Coleman, who works for University of Kentucky. Oh, he was
1: on last month. Yeah.
2: Yes, he was. So that'll be super fun to have uh, him there. And we'll get to hang out in the booth. And we have some wonderful local instructors, plus our current president and president-elect that'll be in the booth as well.
1: Wow. Good times. Big times. Woohoo! Well, we've got a jam-packed show today with three different guests, All of them talking about dealing with difficulties with your horse, either on the ground or in the saddle. And we're going to have to get to our first guest, Christy Schumacher, momentarily. So let's get a hold of her and get things rolling. It is such a pleasure to have Christy on our show.
2: She is a CHA Western and English riding instructor. She is also the founder of High Mountain Horsemanship Outreach, which is located in southeastern Kentucky. At High Mountain, Christy shares horses with severely at-risk youth that had suffered from abuse and neglect using equine-assisted learning activities. She is also the Kentucky CHA state rep, and most of the horses there at High Mountain are American paint horses, but there's a couple of ponies that are thrown into the mix as well. So, hi Christy, thank you so much for being on the show today. Pleasure to have you. Hi, thank you for having me. So, how is everything right now in Kentucky? Are you in spring yet? Are the horses shedding?
3: T- they are. Today is actually a spring day, but if you've been to Kentucky, you know that changes on a moment by moment basis. So, we've went anywhere from 28 this week to i think it's 60s right now um, so it's been a lot of up and down but they're definitely getting pretty itchy and shedding out
2: yes it is that time of year for sure we're not quite there in colorado we haven't quite started the shedding yet but it'll be just a week or two and we'll be we'll be doing mm-hmm. the same thing the so we will
1: be flying
2: it will and in florida it's probably already flown huh jen
1: it's flying like crazy
2: Yep. Yeah. i bet absolutely Interesting how it's all different in different parts. So we're going to talk today about dealing with difficulties with your horse on the ground and in the saddle. And I think that this is something that no matter what your relationship is with your horse, sometimes this happens. So I think it's going to be useful for a bunch of our listeners today. So Christy, let's go ahead and just dive right into it. What are your overall basic thoughts on good ground manners with a horse?
3: I really feel like that ground manners is probably the most important part of all of the horsemanship, because I think everything flows from there. I personally think that if the horse is not listening, um, being tuned into you or being respectful and, and and working with you on the ground, then certainly I don't think that's going to get any better when we get in the saddle. Um, also, I think that a lot of people don't realize that on-the-ground safety is just as important, and, and often that's where the injuries happen even more so than in the saddle. Um, so I feel like on-the-ground manners is one of the most important things we should work with with our horses um, for their sake to help them grow, but also for our own safety and the safety of those around us.
2: I would agree with you 100%. So I know we've divided up just a bunch of topics today that we're going to share with all of our guests, and you wanted to tackle this one. So how do you help your clients that have horses that are hard to catch?
3: That is actually one of my funnest challenges that I love to do, um, because a lot of horses do develop that very nasty habit, and it is a habit, and I think that a lot of times, It does come from the horse perhaps not actually enjoying the relationship with their human very much because just like people, if you enjoy hanging out with someone, you're going to rush to go hang out with them versus running away from them. So that's one of the first things I usually address with my students is what are you doing to make sure the horse is also enjoying time with you to where they're not thinking you're just going to show up, throw a saddle on my back, make my back hurt, get off and throw me back in the field. So um, our program does use a lot of relationship building activities with the horses. Obviously the very basic parts of that would be grooming, but maybe not grooming just to get the job done in a hurry, but grooming to truly show the horse love um, and affection. Um, Obviously there's places that we can scratch that not even their other buddy horses can scratch for them. So I think that brings them a lot of um, pleasure when they're hanging out with us. Obviously, um, you know, giving them um, the affection that maybe they don't get somewhere else, especially if they're lower in the herd or something like that often has them want to come. But, but even, you know, in the beginning, that doesn't always work because they're already made up their mind. They don't want to do anything. So they're going to go off. So we kind of use a reverse psychology um, with my horses. I don't catch horses. I teach my horses to catch me. And that's what I try to um, teach my students. So we kind of use a um, advance and retreat type technique where, I don't chase the horse. I just advance and don't let him have what he wants, which is to go stand off and eat grass somewhere or hang out with his buddy. So he doesn't have to come to me, but he also can't stand and eat grass. He can't just hang out with his friends. He has to, you know, he or she has to move. And so I just, you know, kind of get on moving nice and slow, putting a little pressure on. And the minute they have the thought of who are you and what do you want, which usually involves a look at me or a... A flick of the ears. Sometimes in the very beginning, um, I immediately take the pressure off and kind of rock back a little bit and take my eyes off of them. And the minute they look away or go back to doing their own thing, I put a little bit of pressure on them again. And it usually does not take very much time at all before the horse realizes the place of comfort is paying attention to you and you're being very interesting. You're not attacking me. You're not chasing me. You're being very odd for a human. And so a lot of times, I get kind of creates what we often refer to as the draw, where the horse is kind of drawn more to you because you're acting non-predatorial. And so we do a lot of that advanced retreat and get that horse to where they're looking at us. And eventually it's take a step towards me and and eventually getting that closer thing. And they see that it's not just like, I'm going to come and grab you and get what I want. And then once I do, you know, get where the horse is coming to us, because usually again, by the time it's done they're actually I'm backing away and the horse is following. Then that's when we can introduce a lot of that affection um, and and love to where the horse goes, Oh, wow. You're actually kind of cool to hang out with. And, It works very, very well. I feel like it does take some time. It does take some commitment. When I start that, you know, if I've got a horse that's kind of being a little, eh, I don't really want to hang out with you today, you know, I have to make up my mind. If I'm going to start it, it has to take whatever amount of time it's going to take. That could be five minutes. It could be 15. It could be an hour. (laughs) You know, but if, if I'm going to make up my mind, if I don't have the time, then I don't start that game. But we kind of treat it as a game and say, hey, I'm really cool. Why don't you come hang out with me? And we're going to have a lot of fun together. And teach the clients how to do that,
2: Christy. That's such a good way to do it because you know you're teaching horse behavior, right? You're doing what the horse would exactly. do in regards to the herd instinct. So I just love right. that. Right?
3: Yeah. If yeah, if they don't listen to that herd leadership and the and be a part of the group, and they're kicked out of the group, and that's really one of the worst punishments for a horse is not to be having that sense of belonging, that sense of connection. So again, I'm not running around chasing them or hitting them or anything. I just you know kind of easily walking and clicking. And just getting on where they, I don't want them really running because that means they're going to get farther away from me, but just at least moving to where they're not quite getting what they want, but then when they face me, they get that peace. And I think they're a lot like us in that way too. They're always looking for peace.
2: I agree. So what do you do for horses once you've caught them and you've groomed them and everything's ready to go? Every now and then they might be hard to bridle or maybe even halter because of their ear issues or something like that. What do you do for horses that have those issues?
4: It's
3: really kind of the same concept, um, except that it's obviously much closer. I feel like a lot of horses, unfortunately, you know, have had different traumas perhaps in their past happen to their ears. Sometimes it could just be a natural trauma, you know, whether they got a tick in it or there's a burr or something truly bothering them. But then they kind of start to associate that sensation with the pain that could come. and as we all know, horses are very much creatures of habit, so once once they learn a habit, It's often repeated, even if the source is no longer there. And then, of course, the horses have had their ears twisted and mistreated. Um, So it is about overcoming that and letting them see once again that I'm not there to hurt them, that I want that partnership with them, that I want them to trust me, and that includes trusting the equipment that I'm trying to introduce. So with a horse that's really head shy, especially around the ears, um, I think it is important if I feel like there's an actual physical problem If I'm unsure, like if there could be a tick in the ear or something like that, you know, I might even have to call in the vet to check something if there's a lot of head shaking or that kind of thing. But typically it's more like just a sensitivity and that tickles or I don't trust you with that. So again, it's kind of that advance and retreat. It's just now I'm doing it on their body. So I typically start down near the horse's shoulder, rub rub them. And whenever I see that they're feeling just a little uncomfortable, as I go up that neck, I back off but I would try to back off before they really move. I just try to start sensing where are you comfortable and where you're not. And then I just slowly close that gap and I approach that uncomfortable zone just a little bit more at a time, again, with a lot of love and affection in my hand. And that tends to get them to see, okay, you're not attacking me. You're not doing what's been done before. You're not grabbing a hold of me. You're not grabbing my ear. And eventually I'm also trying to ask them just to stay very calm. So If I start seeing them throw their head up, I'm just going to kind of leave my hand there until they completely calm down and then take it away because we don't want to reward the wrong behavior, which is swinging away from me. So I try to take it pretty slow. And I find that if you take it slow up front, it actually goes a whole lot faster, if that makes sense.
0: Um, Those are some really good ideas.
3: I like like that a lot. We have... have
2: we had a horse um here at the barn who was very sensitive with his ears. He had been ear twitched, actually put the bit in his mouth. Mm-hmm. We got to the mm-hmm. point where the only way we could do it was to undo the cheek piece and mm-hmm. not even go anywhere near the ears. So we had to undo the cheek piece, go mm-hmm. way back behind and then attach it. So sometimes they can get to the point yeah. where they're
3: pretty it can be very over cautious. Yeah. And and, and the, the ears are very sensitive, I feel like the horses. I mean I don't have any scientific data to back that up but just in general they are you know that's a very that's very necessary for their survival so they're very sensitive i think both hearing but also the touch you know it tickles if the fly gets on it so i feel like be treating them very gently and a lot of times if they've had those traumatic events it does take a lot of time to earn that trust back and then just see i'm not going to do that to you and then even with the bridling what i've um, started incorporating a little bit is again reward um this sometimes goes a little against one of our CAA rules, but um, I do use treats as a reward system sometimes, but very much my horses absolutely must be being very polite and not snatching treats out of my hand or begging or nudging or any of those kind of things. But we do use positive reinforcement. That could also be, you know, some of the clicker training that some people use or even sometimes just the just the affection is enough of a reward. But um, even getting that horse to where they want to lick the bit, um and uh, introducing the bit, because a lot of times that's the first major thing before I even try to put it over their ears. And then, but the horse really does have to get where they're really relaxed, where that hand can be up in between those ears and just rubbing on them and loving on them. And then eventually introducing the leather of the, the bridle. And then usually if you take the time, you know, they do settle down quite a bit. And um, if they're not, if they're getting worse, then it might be time to call them somebody who's professionally trained to help with that.
2: So what? let's go ahead and move on just in interest of time. Um, what are your overall thoughts on what determines good mounted manners?
3: I think the same things in my mind that are good ground manners are good mounted manners. I want the horse, when I'm leading, to be partnered next to me. I want to be able to see their communication center, which is their head, and the different people have different ways of leading. I tend to lead with the horse beside me um, where I can see his head, but I'm lined up with the side of his neck. I can see his head and see his communication that also keeps me where I won't get ran over because if he bolts or something. He's going to run past me, but I like that connection to where the horse is not trying to rush past me and not lollygagging behind me and just generally being cooperative, um, you know, moving off my pressure on the ground. And so when we get in the saddle, that's really the same thing I'm looking for. I want a horse that wants to be with me. I want a horse that wants to stay connected to me, not rush ahead or fall back. You know, I don't want one that I got to kick the whole way to keep it going. And I don't want one that's rushing ahead of me trying to leave and certainly don't want to get into any other really bad things like bucking, rearing, or bolting. But, um, you know, I want that partnership with that horse. And I think that that starts from the moment I'm putting the saddle on and mounting up. Is that horse staying calm? Is he standing still? Is he very accepting and almost, you know, looking forward to me riding him? And if I'm seeing a lot of jittery and silly stuff going on, I'm not getting on. I'm I'm too old and fragile anymore. I'm not, I'm not, I don't like to hit the dirt. It's just not fun. So, um, some people may like that, but I don't think many of us in CHA do. So I really try to make sure that those same manners are, um, you know, that they're being respectful. Again, moving off the pressure. If they're moving off the pressure on the ground, they certainly should be moving off the pressure of my leg and my, and my hands on the reins and, and things gently. Um, but just kind of that connection. I think the, good. If, if yeah i think sense. that's
2: good oh absolutely and you know we're going to talk about arena stuff here later in the show but christy you had mentioned that you really wanted to talk about the trail which i think is so important so many of our listeners are active trail riders and you know sometimes you've got horses that they get a little spooky while out on trail right there's a bunch of different things out there that could cause this what are some ways that you work with a spooky horse while out on trail
3: well um i absolutely always um get a kick i mean i have a trail ride i have lots of friends who trail ride and um And a lot of people go, oh, I just trail ride my horses. (laughs) And actually, I think that it's probably one of the most dangerous things you can do with a horse is to go on a trail ride. I mean, an arena is a very controlled environment. You know, you're not going to have any turkey jump out of the bushes. You're not going to have any deer bolts. You're not going to have skunks or snakes or beehives or any of those things that we encounter out on the trail. You know, even things like mailboxes and and raincoats, that just doesn't exist in the arena. So I often feel like the the trail riders are probably some of the bravest and and the horses need to really be some of the best trained because they're out totally encountering nature. So one of the things that we do a lot at our program is we do a lot of of prep ahead of time before hitting the trail. I do a lot of um, introducing my horses to odd, weird things. And we actually have an obstacle course on our farm that we utilize with some little foot bridges, mailboxes, tarps swinging vine things, you know, a lot of variety to where they can kind of encounter that a little bit in a slightly more controlled environment. Often we even start that on the ground and then in the saddle and and earn that respect and trust from them that they see, okay, these weird, scary things are not going to hurt me. Our horses um, are very different than those in the wild. The horses in the wild grow up running across rivers and creeks and up mountains and past things, but they don't, you know, even the wild horses don't grow up around mailboxes, which is, can be one of the scariest things in the universe to a horse. Um, and stuff. And so I think just introducing them to odd shapes, because typically they're in a nice green pasture. Typically it doesn't even have trees, you know, maybe a running shed, a few trees, but how often are we introducing them to water? How often are they stepping in mud puddles? How often are we letting things flap around them? And so we do that in a controlled environment. And then that way they're a little more prepped mentally, um, and emotionally when they head out on the trail. So I try to introduce them and desensitize them to as many of those things as I can. But then certainly when we're out there, you know, you're always going to encounter something. You can't, I can't catch her turkey and keep it in my field to train my horses with. So it's more of that horse really developing the trust with me that when I say stop and stand, let's face this and just say, you know, and I have to control my breathing. That is so important for people to understand. If you get heightened and start holding your breath and clench up, I guarantee the horse is going to do the same thing. And he is going to probably not say clench very long. He's going to probably take off with or without you. I feel like breathing um, when we're out on the trail, nice, calm breath. If my horse gets jittery or I and myself getting maybe a little more nervous, I actually will hum a tune. Even something as simple as row, row, row your boat, you know, can kind of get you breathing better and help you relax. And that helps the horse relax. Anytime I see something that I think could suddenly catch their attention, I may even try to direct their attention toward it to where they see it instead of it suddenly startling them. But, of course, out on the trail you can't prep for everything. So I think the breathing, staying calm and training ourselves to be emotionally stable for our horse is is really, really important when we're headed out on the trail.
2: Christy, those are super ideas. I'll tell you, um, I grew up in Southern California. We had to share all the trails with mountain bikes. And so I actually mm-hmm. had my boyfriend at the time uh, take his mountain bike out and go. And I basically chased him on the mountain bike with my horse so that my horse could be the chaser mm-hmm. and not the chasee. So, yeah, the things we right. do to desensitize our horses. So I love all of these ideas. So tell me, Christy, yeah, um, what are the best ways to find you? How can people locate you there in Kentucky?
3: Probably the best way is to um, either via the internet. We do have a website. It's www.thehighmountain.com. And so that's T-H-E-H-I-G-H We also are on Facebook at High Mountain Horsemanship Academy and High Mountain Horsemanship Outreach. So um, both of those are really pretty good ways to get a hold of us, and it's got all my contact information, phone numbers, all that kind of email stuff is on both of those locations.
2: Super. And, of course, anybody listening, any of our instructors that are CHA members, you can also find them on our website at CHA.horse2. So, Christy, thank you so much for being on today. We really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me. Thanks a bunch, Christy. Well, we're just going through them fast and furious here today, I've already got our next guest on the line.
2: It is a pleasure to have Tara Reimer on our show next. She has always been involved with horses, whether training, driving, riding, or showing. Together with her husband and her two newly adopted sons, they own and operate Cloud Nine Ranch near Steinbach, Manitoba, where she spends most of her time teaching Western and English, vaulting, facilitating equine assisted learning as well as training horses judging shows and giving clinics she is a CHA clinic instructor for us and our region two director and in 2013 she was awarded as our instructor of the year and just recently her horse arnie who's um, an american quarter horse was awarded CHA school horse of the year she also um, enjoys the challenge of preparing young horses for futurities hello tara welcome to the show
4: Hi, Christy. I'm pleased to be here.
2: We're very excited to have you. So tell us what is going on in what some of us down in the U.S. refer to as the Great Frozen North. How is Manitoba?
4: Well, it is still frozen. However, I call it like now we can go into shorts weather. So the sun is shining. We still have about a foot of snow. And uh, it's about 30 to 40 degrees Fahrenheit. But actually quite nice.
2: That It cracks me up that you're going to wear shorts when it's 30 or 40 degrees Fahrenheit. That is so great.
1: <laughs> I love that. When do you start wearing shorts, Jen, when it's like 80? You know something? I, I have a propensity to only put on long pants when it gets really, really cold. So if it's above 40, I'm in shorts because I refuse to cave. I'm wearing shorts. I live in Florida, darn it. Good for you. That means your legs are constantly tan.
2: I, on the other hand, tend to live in sweats and jeans. So I have the opposite thing going on. That's why I always want a vacation at the beach. Then I can get my legs. You have the
1: white kneecap problem. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yes. I know. I don't like that very much, but you know, it is what it is. You can always,
4: you can always tell who the cowgirls are at the beach. (laughs) Yes.
2: it's such an attractive look our farmers tans (laughs) wear them with pride wear them with pride that's right absolutely (laughs) all right tara well we're going to dive right in here um we're dealing with uh dealing with difficult horses on the ground and in the saddle and sometimes i think it's more of a human issue than a horse issue um however i think it's great to have this conversation because everybody listening has had something at some time it does not escape any of us so what are your overall basic thoughts on good ground manners with a horse
4: and I agree with you that it does come down to the person more often. Uh, so I look at working together with a horse on the ground is like dancing with another person. And it's very important to get that connection first on the ground before you even consider riding. And so just like in a dance, someone needs to be the leader. And then that leader needs to be trustworthy in order to be called a leader. And trust is based on consistency. So, for example, if every time I breathe out alongside my horse, And then I stop. Eventually, that horse trusts that order and expects to stop from a deep breath out. And horses like patterns, and so then there's predictability. And with that, that creates safety and a feeling of control from the horse's standpoint. And so, something that I've come to realize from working with both people and horses is that negative behavior, call it whatever you want kicking, bucking, rearing, and horses or anxiety, anger type issues in people that comes from a fear of a lack of control. And therefore, in order for us to have a horse with good ground manners, we as people and handlers need to be consistent in our body language while keeping calm. And then the horse will stay out of a state of fear. And it's only in a calm state that anyone can learn, people or horses.
2: That is absolutely true. So let's dive into some of the specifics here that um, you chose to kind of talk about today for this show. What do you recommend for a horse that drags behind its handler when being led?
4: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I always hope to address the cause, not just the behavior. And so there's always the answer of it depends. Um, uh, but a horse could be a really slow mover, uh, in which case I would work with a horse and and then I get it to march, like a marching in a, in a band or like in a parade. And so then when I march, I expect the horse to march, but then I also just allow it to have its downtime and be able to walk at its pace. And I find that giving little rest breaks in between there actually motivates the horse to move on faster when I do ask for it. And to get that, if I cluck and I increase my energy while tugging on the lead rope off and on, Um, if that's not enough, then I will grab a lunge whip to enforce the go-forward cue. Uh, But when you're doing that, a common mistake that I see with people is that they start twisting their bodies, which actually then is not giving the go-forward cue like you were before, which is confusing to the horse. So be sure to keep the same body stance as you first had when you wanted to go forward, shoulders square, eyes, toes forward, And just keep that whip on your outside hand and just have it there to create some energy. You don't necessarily have to touch the horse with the whip, but rather create just a more comfortable space when the horse is moving forward. And when the horse drags behind, you create less comfort um, in that position. And so then the horse will actually want to move up forward because there the pressure is off and there it's more comfortable. And this brings me to the next reason that a horse drags behind, and that, that is that they don't feel safe. Um, Every horse, just like people, are driven to be safe. And a horse may not feel confident enough up beside its handler. And I would say this is probably more often the reason. And with these horses, uh, we take more time to bond with them, hang out, and just let life happen around them. And while they're dealing with whatever is causing the, the issue, I just make sure I stay calm and trustworthy. So for example, if we have a tractor that's driving around the yard and the horse is wanting to just stay back and not go anywhere near in that area, I just will stop, I'll stand there and I start texting or answering emails. And then I find that when I become uninterested and not too concerned about what's going on, the horse is like, oh, okay, I guess it's not a big deal. And that actually seems to work. If I, if I just stop and just relax that will get me to my final goal away quicker. And uh, just to put it in people perspective, this is similar to how I deal with our one son who has extreme anxiety when he's afraid or in a fright mode and his head is spinning. There's really no reasoning with him. So I just remain calm and quiet and eventually he will settle his mind down. And so it's the same way with a horse. And so it's, you can't really drag a frightened horse forward So what you have to do is help them overcome their fears that they're seeing in front of them, and then they will get confidence from you and trust you.
2: I so appreciate the positive use of a cell phone around a horse, because normally it's us saying, don't be texting while you're riding your horse and don't be texting while you're teaching. And in this case, you use it for a completely different reason and for a positive reason. I love that. And our next speaker is going to talk about horses that walk all over you being led. So for our listeners that are waiting for that information, it will be coming soon. So, Tara, how about what do you do with a horse that has a hard time picking up its hooves for the hoof picking and cleaning out experience or for the farrier?
4: Sure. Just like with everything else, the horse wants to be safe or comfortable. So when we have a horse that's not cooperating, it's likely because they're not feeling safe or comfortable. So lifting a leg on command can be uncomfortable to a horse. And so we teach our students, it doesn't matter what level or age they are, um, to first ensure that the horse is standing in a position that we will be balanced to the horse when that one leg will be lifted. And sometimes that means first moving the horse's feet forward or backwards uh, to get underneath them in a more stable position. Or you often find if you're working in a stall that when you go to lift that one leg, the horse would actually have would be leaning forward into the front of the stall, and that's not comfortable to them. And that can often just be the simplest reason why they're not wanting to lift that leg. So always tell students, consider the horse's environment first. Um, I also have our students support the shoulder of the horse with their shoulder, so there's more stability there. And then when we move to the hind legs, uh, people tend to pull the horse's leg away from the body of the horse as it feels safer to the handler, and because they don't want to be as close to the hind end, and they think that you're going to get kicked or stepped on, which in reality they're almost creating that problem uh, themselves. And so I get all my students first, before we're even by the horse, to stand on one leg and lift their second leg back and then to the side. And, of course, that throws them off balance, and I get them to see that. And then I have them take that same left lifted leg, bend it at the knee, and then just tuck it behind their other leg that is on the ground. And this is a much more stable feeling. And so with that, our students are taught uh, to lift the horse's hind legs back and then towards the tail, which keeps the horses much more balanced and therefore comfortable and feeling safe. And then we don't usually have problems from the horse's perspective. Um, If this is not enough to have your horse willingly lift his leg for you, perhaps they need some energy and motivation, so long as they are calm and quiet, uh, in which case I would squeeze on the chestnut, which is on the inside of the leg that I want to lift, and this works really well to get a response from a not so responsive horse, and it's something that I didn't know actually, and I learned it at a CHA clinic years ago, and it is definitely helpful. I love the um, another thing trick. We sometimes...
2: Yeah, it oh. works, doesn't it, Jen? It works.
4: <laughs> yeah, it works it's really it's well. very very helpful. Mm-hmm. So how and, about last? We want another thing. Oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Tara. You're fine. Nope. Oh. Um, Another thing that we sometimes do, especially with foals, is use a soft cotton rope that's gently twisted around the uh, pastern, and we're able to stay safe while we're asking for that leg, at the same time able to better use our body to stabilize the horse, because sometimes uh, it is the out-of-balance feeling that makes the horses anxious and not willing to cooperate with us. So I always say go back to the horse uh, that they're not feeling safe as the reason for the behavior.
2: I think horses are amazing. They're flight animals and we do things like pick up one of their feet and they let us do it. So definitely some training involved there when you're working with young ones. But I think that that's just great talking about the safety aspect of that. So one more thing on the ground before we get on into uh, mounted manners, how about a handler that has trouble getting um, his or her horse to lunge? What do you do about that? Well, and
4: I've, we don't lunge our lesson horses so much once they're aged, um, but I do show a lot of yearlings and each year I have new ones to show of course for competitions and so I've come across a lot of different horses and and then any horse that comes in for training we we do work with them in that way as well Um, and I have found that less is better Um, keep it real simple and allow that horse time to read your body language and learn the correct response don't over flood them with um, movement and, and maneuvers and cues that they don't really know what is going on and just chasing them. Uh, that that doesn't seem to go anywhere. That's good. Uh, we don't use a round pen here. Uh, we don't use a round he- pen here, but we rather start with just a lead rope and then eventually build the horse's confidence enough to move out uh, into a larger circle with a lunge line. And it is actually the horse that years ago has taught me to stop uh, by just simply breathing out and just quitting with all my energy. Uh, Of course, with riding, I used to always, you know, breathe out, but just gently, not too dramatically. And I would just say, whoa, and relax. But it was on the lunge line where I'd be just like kind of and just kind of drop my shoulders and the horse would stop. And I thought, well, that's fascinating because the horse is really far away from me. And they're they're breathing out. I mean, my breathing out stopped them. And that's actually how we stop all our horses here now. And we have a joke that if we ever had a runaway of even 10 horses, all we'd have to do is just breathe out and they'd all stop. (laughs) So that's a really neat thing. that. Well, breathing is huge.
2: Breathing in, you know, to activate and breathing out to deactivate is just such a really good thing for all of handlers and riders to do. And I think we forget about breathing a lot. So I think you mentioning that is just wonderful. Mm -hmm. So let's jump into some mounted manners here now, just in interest of time. Um, What ideas do you have for a horse that won't stand still? I think this is a big one when we're getting on, especially, and sometimes even getting off. What are some of your ideas in regards to that?
4: Uh, Well, most often uh, this goes back to a sense of felt safety and comfort for the horse, So first, ensure that the rider is mounting correctly with both hands in front of the seat and none on the cantle. And then next, ensure that the rider's toes are not digging into the horse's side. And and also consider the weight of the rider and the torque on the withers when pulling oneself up. Um, So use a mounting block and if you can or if if it's necessary. And if there's none available, have someone push down in the offside stirrup as the rider is mounting up. Um, I personally don't shorten the one rein when mounting a horse unless it's just when I'm starting a young horse under saddle. Um, But if I have to shorten one rein to keep my horse standing still, I always think I have other problems that need to be fixed first. So I do consider when I'm mounting the horse and uh, where I am mounting the horse and ask myself if the horse feels safe in that area. It could be where there's doors that open unexpectedly or reflections of a mirror or their view of vehicles that are driving in and out. And that could be causing some um, movement. Uh, Even then, a horse may still move away during mounting. And then I think it is because they associate the ride itself with being uncomfortable. And this is something we occasionally see with horses that are first being trained under saddle. Um, On those days, we then do groundwork only or maybe we get on and off repeatedly to break the pattern or we get on the right side if you can. Um, By the way, I always get on the left side of my horses and off on the right side in an effort to keep the things evened out for them and to not overbuild muscles on one side. And it's actually helped. Um, Your horse could also be sore and I highly recommend getting body work on them uh, to alleviate the pain. And the longer you leave a horse that's feeling pain, the harder it becomes to show them that that activity will not cause them any more pain. And then there are the horses who move, and we can't figure out why. And with these, we use a crop in our right hands, just placed along the horse's right shoulder or ribcage while mounting from a mounting block. And the idea is to make their movement away from us less comfortable than standing for us when being mounted. And so you just look for patterns in your horses and pay attention to their body language as they are speaking to us. We just need to listen.
2: I think that's great. I love the idea of mounting and dismounting from both sides, or like you said, mounting from one, dismounting from the other, because you're absolutely right. We can soar our horses back on one side only. There's so many things we can do, and we do everything left side only. And you never know in an emergency situation when you might have to mount and dismount from the other side. So, and I'll tell you, for those of you that have never tried mounting and dismounting from the right side, you are going to feel like you have no idea how to ride a horse the first time you do it because the (laughs) muscle memory is so Mm -hmm. ingrained in us that
1: it's just, it's a crazy thing. Everyone, I I want everyone to try this that is an auditor here on Horses in the Morning. All auditors try this and please film it and post it on our page. Thank you. Great idea. (laughs) because
2: we're all gonna chuckle yeah yes great idea because sometimes it's hard for you and sometimes the horse says no thank you too they're not used to seeing you out of that eye do that maneuver right so so many things with that one that's really good information so how about this um i have a horse like this and i just use him as a horse that we teach people how to handle this. Uh, But he loves kicking out to the leg, especially when we go to ask for canner. He's like, I don't really want a canner. Bam. He's going to kick out to the leg and all the time. The writers go, he's bucking. I'm like, no, he's not. He's kicking out to the leg with just one leg. He's saying, no, thank you to your leg. And he's refusing to go forward, really. So it's kind of a fascinating one, but I think it's very common. And I'd love to hear what your solutions are to that.
4: For sure. And first of all, always ensure that your horse is not in pain, that we want to make sure that this behavior is not pain triggered. And once you've ruled that out, um, then just without realizing the rider may be creating a pressure point when they move their leg. And this could also cause that fight response. And and it is a fight response in my opinion. Um, and so another reason is that this is simply a fight response From the horse to that pressure in other horses that may move away from the pressure in fear as a flight response or seem to not respond in a fearful freeze response, this horse chooses to fight back against the pressure. And this may be the same horse that only loads into a trailer on their own terms when they are ready, otherwise pulling back and kicking out to the same cues that work with the flight response of horses. And that can be really frustrating if you don't realize the difference. Um, With the fight type horses, we try to make it their idea and try to keep the pressure off of them as much as possible as it is the pressure they are directly fighting. And this is a real tough horse to show as there's always pressure in the show ring and kicking out is an automatic disqualification. So you just gotta consider where that horse is gonna be used and how much they can handle.
2: I agree wholeheartedly. So how about a horse that is too fast or too slow in each gate, whether it's walk, jog, lope, or walk, track, canter? What are your thoughts with a horse like that?
4: Well, there's many reasons for this, starting with that the horse's natural movement is made, uh, maybe not suited to that discipline or event that they're being trained in. But assuming that that horse is bred and confirmationally built for the task at hand, it is balance that you need to establish before rhythm. So I teach that first is balance, and that has to be with the horse and rider together, which is a talk show subject all on its own. Um, But ironically, I spoke about that in April of 2015 on the same show. Um, But once balance is achieved, you can work on rhythm and then steering. So for example, when I went downhill skiing on the mountain, I was able to balance on the less steep slopes, thereby able to maintain rhythm and steer safely down the mountain. However, when I tried the steeper slopes, I certainly did not have the balance in the position that I needed for that steepness. And therefore, I had no rhythm, nor steering, which was evidenced by my starting at a comfortable pace, picking up speed, loss of control, and then falling into the powder snow along the sides multiple times. So a horse without rhythm is trying to first balance itself and rider as it maneuvers through corners in circles and over poles. And through transitions. So go back to the basics. Give that horse the proper exercises to be able to be athletic enough to maintain balance while compensating for its rider through the different maneuvers. And there's lots of uh, jog trots exercises that you can do, and, and that's why we spend a lot of the time working that horse. And don't ever be afraid to go back to the basics, even if you're showing at a higher level. Um, that is often where we need to go back and get that horse balanced again. Uh, again, make sure they're not sore and then be able to progress from there.
2: Very good. I love your example of the skiing and the falling in the powder multiple times. All been there, done that, ridden that train. Uh, it's just part of any sport that we do, right? And of course, horseback riding is a sport and working with horses, of course, is very uh, much a sport and when we get off and we're gasping for air, uh, depending on what we've just done, especially a lot of two point or whatever the case may be. So I love all those examples. So now this one, when I worked at the urban farm and it's an at risk youth facility here in Denver, Colorado, we had a three strikes you out rule with our horses that were donated to us. So if they, um, let's say pulled back at the rail a bunch and we couldn't really fix that, or let's say that they, uh, Oh, bucked, you know, and not kicked out of the leg, but really bucked. We would, after about three times, say, well, they're not all right for this group writing lesson program, and we'd find a different home for them. But the one that was one strike was rearing. And our reason for that was once we made sure the teeth were okay and once we made sure that the bit was fitting in the mouth correctly and once we figured out all of those things, if that horse was still a rear, beginner riders pull back to make horses stop doing something and then they would pull that horse over on top of them. So that is something that was definitely a one strike, you're out. So I love hearing um, different people's opinions on how to stop this behavior because unfortunately horses with this behavior can sometimes go down a very bad road. So what are your opinions? Opinions on this one, Tara.
4: And I agree with you. so we we don't have any horses in our lesson programs uh, that rear. I come across this more when we're training horses. Um, but rearing is really just another defense mechanism of the horse to express fear. So whether it's bucking, uh, rearing, pawing, kicking, um, those are all defense mechanisms that are natural. And this fear can be from too much stress or pressure and not having the ability to control its environment. And again, you have to make sure that the horse is not sore. Um, But I've been studying this actually a lot, and science has proved it is similar to ADD, anxiety, OCD, anger, and all these other defense mechanisms in people. So if you can understand one, then you should be able to understand the other better. Um, Again, we need to address the cause, not the behavior. I've had horses rear being out of balance, when new, to being ridden and loping a tight corner, and that was because that maneuver made them feel uncomfortable and not safe. I've had horses rear when asked to go forward because either the tack or my body weight or the bit or even just their environment made them feel uncomfortable and unsafe. And then I've had horses rear from pain, and, of course, that's they're not comfortable and uh, neither are they safe. So find the cause and then help the horse feel safe. Having said that, I do let my horses know that rearing and bucking is not a good choice. And I usually say that out loud, really, um, while they're doing it. And so I actually had a two-year-old last year's training that did do that when he was stuck and he didn't want to go forward. That was his thing is he would just choose to rear. And when experiencing a rearing horse, I wait for them to come down. I stay calm and relaxed. uh, And then I disengage the horse and have them move out in a circle. And then just get them out moving and get them out of that fearful state and away from whatever was causing the problem in the beginning. And then I have to consider what created that pressure that was too much for them. And then try to work that through at a slower pace so they can not look at it as being too much pressure. Um, I actually have one cow horse that gets humpbacked at a competition from the energy that's surrounding him. And so with him, I do groundwork exercises, which maybe wouldn't be typical to do with a with a cow horse. He's still young, um, but I, I need to with him. And so before I get on, I just do some groundwork that gets him focused on me and relaxed. And then he's totally good to go. Um, so you also need to consider the different training aids out there like draw rings, and then ensure that you're not using them on a horse that is unable to move forward with confidence first. And I see that a lot. A lot of people put, too many restrictions on the horse especially young horses uh, before the horse even is confident enough to just move out on its own balanced and in rhythm and so that doesn't really make sense for the horse's training so there's so many things to consider Um, best is to learn to listen to your horse and do what's best for them and just like in my dance analogy if the leader in the dance couple is dancing um, moves too quickly and fast for you especially foot patterns that you have not learned yet the dance will be painful for both partners and to those watching. So, however, when both partners know the moves and trust one another, one to lead and the other to follow, the dance is enjoyable and beautiful for both the dancers and the spectators.
0: That
2: is very true. And it looks like they're not working at all, which is what we all want to accomplish with our horse. And, you know, just to go back to rearing just for one more second, because I truly believe how important it is, Never pull back on your horse when your horse is rearing. Always lean forward slightly, grab one rein, and kind of move them to the side, like Tara was talking about, to come out of that rear if you don't feel like you can stay balanced, especially if they're up there for a long time. And then start that circle work, just like she was talking about. This is very, very, very important. And find a professional to help you. Rearing is not one that the amateur, in my opinion, should be dealing with on their own. It's uh, It it can be pretty frightening. So, Just some things to think about there. Um, So Tara, I just so appreciate you being on today. And I'll tell you, we have a lot of Canadian listeners on this show. So please let them know how they can find you. um, And also those that are just right across the border here in the US, uh, if they wanna come up for a visit, what is the best places to find you?
4: For sure. And so I'm living one hour from the Ontario border and one hour from the US border. So I'm right in the corner there, Southeast of Manitoba. Uh, Our website is cloud9ranch.ca, and it's the number nine. We also have a Facebook page, Cloud Nine Ranch. And soon I will be starting a blog, actually, on all of the things that horses are teaching us, uh, faith, and what it's like living with two teenage adopted sons.
2: That's good. And when you have that blog going, let us know because you can also always find our instructors on cha.horse, and we would also love to have our instructors' blogs on our page. So, Tara, thank you so much for being on the show today, and um, have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you for having me. Thank you.
1: Yes, you too. Bye-bye. Isn't it funny how basic things like rhythm and balance keep coming back round and round and round again, no matter how the problem Seems to be completely unrelated to that. So there you go, all those basics things again. Um, I think we're going to take a little break now and have a song from Templeton Thompson because I love to play Templeton Thompson every time I'm in charge of the buttons. And, And then we'll get back to our final guest.
0: Pictures are so blue. You're climbing the walls of your pink bedroom. Feels like the world's leaving you behind, but girl, I got good news. As a storybook ending. see what I do, you know it ain't nothing, we ain't all been through, I cried those tears once upon a time, yeah I wore those shoes, let our sister just listen. your wish is gonna come true.
1: Find all of her music at TempletonThompson.com. You can also find it on CD Baby and iTunes. She's got lots more where that came from. And I've got our next and final guest on the line, Christy. It is so great to have
2: Dale Rudin up on our show next. She is a CHA certified riding instructor and also a trainer and a clinician. She is the founder of, an I love this, Unnatural Horsemanship, A Mindful Approach to the Horse-Human Relationship. Dale is also a founding member of Force Free Tennessee, which is an organization of positive animal training professionals. Her articles have been published in Young Rider, Horse Illustrated, and on horsechannel.com, and also in RCHA, the instructor uh, magazine and websites. Dale offers training, rehabilitation, instruction, and in equine behavior management and riding techniques. She's located in Middle Tennessee at her farm, Lyric Valley Ranch. So for those of you that know Tennessee, it's in Santa Fe. So hello, Dale. How are you today?
5: I'm fabulous, Christian. So happy to be here. Thank you for having
2: me on. Well, we're so happy to have you back. I know you're on the show, but it's been a while. So it's always great to have people come back. We love that. So how is everything going like with weather and things in Tennessee? Do you have a lot of horse shedding going on right now or not quite yet?
5: Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, can I say down the shirt in the eyes, you know, we all, we all know where the hair goes. (laughs) So they're shedding and, um, you know, they, they're, I think they don't have any choice in the matter, but it can be very confusing from them because last week we had uh, an 80 degree day, maybe it was two weeks ago, and then we had a 60 degree day, and then that night it snowed, and then mm-hmm. <laughs> it was in the 20s. And I mean, it it literally we don't know what to put on in the morning when we go outside, and I don't know if we're supposed to blanket the
4: horses, shed the horses out. <laughs> you know, it's hard to keep up.
2: Yeah, all over the map. I know. We're, we're a little bit like that this time of year, too, here in Colorado. It's a little crazy. So um, earlier, one of our guests on the show um, talked about ground manners and talked about the horse that was very hard to kind of lead, was always dragging behind. So I just want to jump right in because I had explained earlier that our listeners probably have horses like that, but then also have the opposite, the horse that wants to walk all over us while being led and wants to rush and be in front of us. Can you just dive right in and let us know what some of your thoughts are and how to help our listeners that have that going on with their relationship with their horse?
5: Absolutely. And that's such a frustrating thing to have happen and potentially dangerous because of course our horses are so much larger than we are. So we want to make sure that they have their space and they stay out of our space. It's um, something that I look at as, you know, the first question that I ask is why? Why is this horse walking all over the handler. Is the horse anxious? Is it confused? What's going on? So, when a horse is responding well, I see that as a reflection of a good relationship with the horse. So communication is clear, the horse is not being overloaded by his environment. The, the handler is relaxed. Um, sometimes the problem that we have between horses and handlers is the horse is looking for guidance, but the handler maybe feels insecure and uncomfortable and so is not helping the horse understand what what to do and they're also sending mixed messages. So maybe the horse is trying to respond, but the pressure from the lead that's supposed to be there to guide them never releases or they feel the handler gripping on the lead and that's causing the horse to feel more tense and less responsive and you know, when a horse gets anxious, they kind of can do that blind "I'm just going over here" thing, and it doesn't matter who's standing in the way. So, it's a it's a problem that a lot of people have. Um, and my advice for people who have that going on with their horse is to set themselves up for success and set their horse up for success. So, what that means is they're going to find a quiet time to work with their horse. So. It's not a good idea to try to do this work during feeding time or five minutes before your horse gets his yummy bucket because he's going to be wound up and distracted. So you also want to make sure that you're in a quiet space and a safe place that maybe a little bit confined, maybe the horse pasture or in a round pen so that the horse doesn't have as many things going on around it and you can walk, or walk the horse and work with the horse without other horses, you know, pestering or running around, that kind of a thing. You also want to make sure that the cues that you present to the horse are clear and consistent. So that's a big one because a lot of times people decide the horse, you know, as an example, I know some people want the horse to stop when they stop, but some people do that, but then they also may want the horse to stop when they turn to face them or they want them to stop when they move their hand a certain way so we want to have the same cue mean the same thing every single time and if for some reason you have to change the cue you want to make sure that you do that systematically so the horse understands that the new cue means to stop or to move away or whatever it is that you're asking the horse to do so when you have a horse that's running all over you, you want to set clear boundaries. You want to let the horse know that this is not the space that you're going to allow them to come into, but we want to make sure that we do that in a way that doesn't create more tension and anxiety for the horse. We want the horse to feel comfortable being where we want them to be. So as we are fixing that behavior, we want to make sure we are non-reactive which can be really difficult because here comes the horse and you're like, get off of me. You know, you want to wink them away and shove them away and yell and do all that. But I urge you not to, I urge you to just, just set a boundary with your lead rope, with your hands and wait until the horse understands to move away. And they do, and then release the pressure and reward the horse. And that's something that we often um, forget to do is reward the horse and reinforce the behavior so that the horse knows, oh, that was the thing I was supposed to do. So what I do when a horse responds correctly to me is I'm like, yay, that was so good! And I'm scratching them on the neck. That's, you know, something you can do to reward them. You can use a food reward. You can let them eat some grass for a few minutes. There's a lot of things you can do that that says to the horse, when you do that, wonderful things happen. And that's a different approach than when you do the wrong thing, bad things happen. We just want to ignore the wrong thing because we don't want the horse to get scared or think that we're randomly attacking them because they probably won't understand what's going on um, or punishing them. So we just want to reward them for the correct thing and then calmly redirect them to where we want them to be when they're not, when they're not there. We just want to keep moving them back to that space. So clear directions, calm guidance, and, um, making sure that, that our horse really is understanding what we want. And if they don't well, and what I we need to.
2: Yeah, I was just gonna say what I love, Dale, about all that is that, you know, you're talking about it from different perspectives. So one of the reasons why the horse could be running all over you is because you're making him claustrophobic by holding on too tight and holding up there by the halter instead of a good six to 12 inches away. Um, Another reason why he could be running all over you is because you're holding the end of the lead rope. So you have absolutely no control, right? So I think that your conversation about, you know, you have to be leading correctly and somewhere in the middle and then having a conversation about where that horse is at and why they're possibly doing what they're doing is really
0: good.
5: Thank you. And those are such good points about where you're holding the lead rope, how you're holding the lead rope, your energy level. You know, if you're coming into like, hey, let's relax and go for a walk or, you know, or you're ready to um, have some kind of a fight with your horse or assume that he's going to do it incorrectly. You're there to help your horse. That's the bottom line. So you do need to learn how to do that correctly and develop those skills and your own confidence too.
2: So, I'm going to tell you something because I love examples. When I worked at medieval times, we would lead two Andalusian stallions simultaneously behind us down this concrete ramp that led to the arena that we had below. And of course, they had shoes on and no on them. And there was all kinds of interesting things that occurred as we'd say, Stop, stop biting each other, quit. And we'd like, <laughs> and it was just one of those things where looking back at that now, oh my goodness, no, first of all, don't be leading two horses period at the same time but let alone two stallions i mean all the things that we kind of learn as we go along and yeah i was 16 right and this is just that was how they taught their work to do, their work helpers to do things that's what i what i was taught to do and so i think you know we we sometimes take things as basic as catching tying leading for granted but that establishes your whole rapport with your horse so i love that we're talking about ground today as well as mounted i think it's wonderful
5: I couldn't agree more. It is it's all about the relationship and the interaction and and you know every moment that you're in you're interacting with your horse. So, you know, we're thinking about working towards something or here's our goal. You're how, how is this moment going? We need to focus on that just as much as everything else.
2: I agree. So, one more great ground one that I want to ask you before we jump into the mounted is how do you deal with horses that pull back when they're hard tied?
5: That's such a good question, and it's it's such a big, huge problem for so many horses. And I, it breaks my heart to see a horse in that position. You can see how terrified the horse is. I mean, for the most part, I I suppose there are occasional horses out there that have learned that they can break anything, and so there's more of a deliberate, um, a
0: deliberate,
5: uh, a deliberate purpose behind that action, but they probably started out afraid. And even those horses that are doing it, you know, it's been reinforced. There's some some reinforcement that made them want to continue to pull back. And so for a horse that is the general horse, the average horse that's doing it out of fear and feeling trapped, uh, it's important to remember, I think, when we start dealing with those horses is a learned behavior, that at some point during the horse's life, he felt his head confined, something happened to him, and he tried to get away and he couldn't. And that's a basic instinct that each horse has was being able to escape danger. So when they're in danger and they can't escape, that's a, they're gonna throw their whole body into it. I um have a story about this. I had a young girl this was many years ago who was working for me, and she I asked her to fly spray a horse and the horse was tied and he had no tying issues whatsoever. And she fly sprayed his body and then she fly sprayed him in the the face. And of course she didn't cover his eyes or prepare him. And so she just shot him in the face with the fly spray and he pulled back. And this was a big horse and he panicked and was really traumatic for him. He didn't tie well after that. That was that one moment. And, And the reason why that happens is because fear is such a strong, strongly programmed part of their brain, and so when they have a bad experience, it's indelibly imprinted into their their psyche. And so it's a smart horse that says, oh, if I get tied again, I'm gonna be in trouble, and so I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna get. I just want to get away right away." So when we're trying to resolve that, we have to change the horse's association with being tied. And we want it to take us in baby steps. We want to teach the horse how to step forward when they feel light pressure. We want to make sure that the horse uh, is in a, in a safe place with good, solid footing so that he's not going to be slipping because that can be a problem that um, leads to pulling back if the horse slips when they're tied. We want to really work on just general interactions and building confidence and relaxation in the horse. If the horse is a nervous wreck all the time and then we tie him up, you can pretty much be guaranteed that it's not going to go well. So once we've taught him to come forward to pressure, then we can start what I call fake tying. We just flip the rope over whatever um, the, the fence or something that's safe and you can hold one end. and groom the horse, and and really it depends on the horse what works best for them. For some horses, usually since we're tying horses for grooming and saddling and things like that, for some horses, the best thing to do is to teach them to stand still for those tasks without being tied at all. And what you might find if you try that is your horse is wiggling all over the place because standing still is hard for them. So if you tie them and they're wiggling then they're constantly feeling the pressure of the lead rope because they're hitting the end of the lead rope and at some point they just get overstimulated by that and then they can sit back and, and pull. So if we can just teach them to stand tied quietly in an open space and then start moving them toward the fence and then start flipping the rope over the fence and then and then practice hard tying them. But I would hard tie it with uh, a string, something that will break free so that the horse isn't getting that repetitive reinforcement of every time I'm tied, I'm trapped and I'm going to hurt myself. And if we want to break that pattern of behavior. So if they were to pull that, they just break free and you're like, Oh, look at you broke free. Isn't that nice? Let's come back over here and get some free. Um, maybe hang a hay bag while you're going through this process or feed them their bucket while the rope is looped over, a. uh, the pole, the fence, or, you know, sort of tiring. So whatever you can do to change the horse's perspective, help them be calm, and then that will over the course of time, and there's no guarantee how long it'll take, but over the course of time, the horse will start to become more relaxed and feel safer in that situation.
2: Love all of those ideas, Dale. And I just want to mention from a safety perspective of the human, when the horse pulls back, do not try to untie them. You can lose digits that way, so just let the horse do its thing, and it's either going to break the lead rope, um, hopefully you've tied it to something that's solid, otherwise something could come up out of the ground, so hopefully that doesn't happen to you, or they'll just come back forward again when they realize that you know it's nothing's going to break, but I've seen too many people try to untie their horse while it's pulling back, and I just want to mention that is not a good idea. So thank you, though, for all these good ideas about what to do to kind of get them over that. Because, you know, sometimes you to just have the, the lead rope looped. But then if we're somewhere at a horse show, you kind of have to tie it at the trailer. Because if they do get loose and run around the showgrounds, right, it's not like running in of your gated home, maybe, where you are your gated boarding barn. So I love that there's some ideas here to help. So we're going to into into um, mounted manners. And in interest of time, let's go ahead and deal with Bolting next, and what what you think is a good idea for those horses that tend to do that?
5: Sure. Um, so bolting usually is associated with some panic in the horse, whether it's something that's in their environment or something that's going on between them and the rider. So again, can be a learned behavior. Can be you know the horse wasn't well prepared for um, whatever is going on being ridden or the activity is stressful for them and for some reason, or of course they can spook and then take off. So all of those things can happen. So we have to remember that when a horse is faulting, that their mind is overloaded and they're, they're over threshold. They have gone into fight or flight mode. They're not thinking anymore. Their, their cognitive brain is out the window it's gone they're just working on instinct so the key to resolving the bolting is to keep them under threshold to not let them get into that space where they want to take off so that takes some creativity and thought on the part of the rider we want to consider where does the horse feel safe what does the horse feel safe doing and stay focused on that. So if you have a horse that bolts, then uh, you would want to ride them in a small area, like again, like a round 10 or a small arena where the horse feels safe. And work on 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 very simple tasks, just walking and relaxing, creating that relaxation, reestablishing balance in the horse so that when you're communicating to the horse, the horse feels balanced and he feels like he's, com- you know, carrying the rider comfortably. Um, and also, you want to make sure that that you're fit, that you're using a bit that the horse is comfortable with, that your skills as a rider are are helping the horse feel more confident and more relaxed, so that they can respond, so he can respond to you. You want to make sure there isn't anything physical going on that's causing that horse to want to get away. So he has to be able to be he has to be able to relax, he has to be balanced, and he has to be able to focus. And all of those things come when the horse is under threshold, when they're in a relaxed state of mind. So if the horse is gonna bolt at a gate faster than the walk, then ride at the walk. Ride at the walk as long as it takes until you have a horse that's breathing deeply, that's responsive, that that will stop and back with a light touch and respond to your legs quietly and then start working at the trot. And that may not mean trotting for five minutes. That might mean trotting for two steps and, and checking to make sure you can ask your horse to slow down and come back to the walk and the stop. And again, lots of reward and letting the horse know when they're doing it right. We just want to build positive experiences so that the bolting behavior becomes less powerful to the horse and the horse becomes more comfortable and feel safe in this in this new mind space if you will um where he feels like everything's okay and he doesn't have to he doesn't have a
2: reason to want to get away very good so we're going to do one more on the mounted um and i think one that is important is that People sometimes let their horses kind of ride around with their head up in the air, and that, of course, hollows out their back and over time can hurt their back and actually can cause some of the swaybacks we see to come quicker than just old age. And also, of course, when the horse's head is up, the endorphins are flying because they're looking for danger, whereas when the horse's head is down, they're much calmer and they're in a calmer state of mind. So. What are some exercises that you recommend for um, the horse and the rider the handler to do to help with that collection and with that headset carriage?
0: Yeah,
5: that's such a that's such a great question and I I actually begin by not using the word collection because I think that confuses some people and they think they have to pull the horse together. So the first thing I teach my students is is what engagement is and so we focus on asking the horse to take a nice long straight step with their hind feet directly under their body and when we start there then we have the forward motion that we need for the horse to, to develop the muscles that they're that are required to carry a rider comfortably and in a healthy way for the horse's body so that they're not doing those things that you're talking about where they're hollowing their back and then they get into kissing spine disease and they have muscle pain and atrophy and tension and all that stuff we don't want that to happen and you know some of the listeners might think well I just have a trail horse this doesn't relate to me but that is absolutely not true your trail horse is going over uneven terrain and carrying you. And, and just like any other horse doing any other job, jumping, reining, um, games, it, it doesn't matter. The horse has to have the strength to carry the rider. Otherwise, you do break the horse down. So that takes conditioning. And sometimes uh, starting that with horses that are already carrying themselves in that inverted frame on the ground Uh, I might just hand walk the horse straight and work on keeping their head and their neck straight so that they're starting to develop their bodies evenly at both sides and start asking them to stretch their head and their neck down which is going to start to lengthen those muscles and allow the horse to engage those muscles and then as the horse is able to swing more with the, the hips and bring the pelvis underneath them then we can start lifting in the back. But the back has to be comfortable and healthy for that to happen. So a lot of times, just we just have to start really at square one on the ground. So I'll do those leading exercises. We'll do some work with um, what I call ground riding with a lunge line. We might do some long lining. And then slowly work our way up to under saddle work. And when we get under saddle, then it's really important that that when we're riding the horse, we're riding them in anatomical alignment. So that all the vertebrae are lined up and the spine follows whatever track the horse is following, whether it's a straight line or a curved line. If it's a curved line, then from the pole to the tail, that horse's body should conform to that shape. The neck shouldn't be to the inside or the outside, it should be in alignment right in between the shoulders, and that, again, is going to be the first step in developing the roundness that we want from the horse and allowing that engagement of the hind end.
2: Very good explanation of that, because I think people get the words confused all the time of shortening and lengthening the stride versus collection and extension. I mean, there's so many things like that that get confused, so I love that you don't talk even about collection for a long time I think that that's a very very good idea so Dale yeah, what I- are some ways to find you how is the easiest way for folks to find you
5: well the easiest way would be to email me at my uh, my, my email address which is my name Dale Rudin at gmail.com they can also call or text my phone number is nine four nine three three seven. I have a website, which is unnaturalhorsemanship.com, and I also have a Facebook page and an unnatural horsemanship Facebook page, and if anybody's interested in reading blogs, then they can find me on my blogger site, which is also under unnatural horsemanship.
2: Great. Well, thank you so much today, Dale, for being on the show. We really appreciate it.
5: Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. I appreciate it, too.
2: Jen, I really enjoyed the show today. It was so much fun to have three different guests on from three different areas of the continent talking about kind of the different things that we all deal with in regards to ground and mounted issues we sometimes have.
1: That was a lot of fun because it it really hit on what I would call the biggies, things that we're going to come across whether we have one horse, 15 horses, professional, amateur, beginner, advanced. And each and every guest had a lot of really useful uh, light bulb pointers. Oh, I could, I could apply that to this situation. A lot of take-home stuff today. I love it. Yes. I enjoyed that very
2: much, too. I love take-home stuff. So yeah. hopefully everyone listening enjoys it and reaches out to the ladies, too, if uh, they live by them. Because that's always fun to see the people in action that they hear on the radio.
1: Yes, and we had a lot going on today, a lot of names, a lot of locations, a lot of um, questions and advice. So the easiest way to remember is just go to the website, horse, and you, there's a place there where you can find instructors, and just go there, and you're going to find our guest as well as lots and lots and lots of other instructors. So if you can't remember their name offhand or you're unsure if you remember their website or Facebook page, that's the fastest place to go.
2: It sure is. And if you just scroll to the bottom of um, chainstructors.com, you'll see it will say all of our instructors in Tennessee. And then you can go, Oh, I think her name was Dale or whatever the case may be. So that's great. Or you can also put in your zip code or your postal code and they'll come up as well.
1: That's right. You guys have a great search function there. And to find links to today's guests and show notes, if you want to do that, just go to horsesinthemorning.com to find that. You can follow us on Facebook if you haven't done so already. Go to Facebook, search Horses in the Morning, and click Follow, Like, Become a Fan. And you can also follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Horse Radio. And if you don't have the shows with you on your phone yet, you need to do that. You can listen to all of the shows or any of the shows on your phone. We have a free app for your Android or your iPhone. Go to your App Store. And search Horse Radio Network and click the download button. It's free and it's easy to use. And don't miss any shows. If you're not a phone user, you can also subscribe via iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. And thank you very much to Christy Landwehr and the CHA for bringing us this episode this month. Christy is here the third Tuesday of every month. And she always has lots and lots of great helpful, useful tips on riding, teaching, instructing, and being better horse people. So we'll see you again in a month, Christy. See you later, Jen. Have a good one.